welcome everyone to the Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Oh, you know me. I always enjoy a good cremation. The Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek for the season finale, episode 113, Dragon Plays with Fire, is sponsored by Sixth Street Noodle Place. We've only been open a year, but hey, Joy Meacham really likes our soup. (laughs) Ah, noodles. Pete, this is not, of course, the final episode of the Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek. We will be back next Monday to do a season wrap-up. And uh, do stay subscribed if you're subscribed to the Iron Fist uh, feed uh, as further information comes out about whether it's Defenders or Season 2 of Iron Fist, etc. We, of course, will update this feed. If you're listening to us on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, well, the goodness is just going to keep on rolling. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Guardians of the Galaxy, Spider-Man this summer, some other goodies along the way. So uh, it's, it's the end of one chapter, but the adventure continues time to step inside the dojo and deconstruct this episode we begin matt in harold's penthouse where he straightens his tie in the reflection walking past the uh hyperbaric chamber a reminder of the prison he used to be uh relegated to but hey Tembi Wallace, Matt, you know, from Exposition TV, is making a report on the Danny Rand investigation. Indeed she is. Uh, good to see that uh, that I, I know she's been in at least one other episode for, uh, for Iron Fist. Good to see that the Luke Cage character still uh, carries on through. It's those little things that make all the difference. She is reporting on the big news, Pete. Shocker of shockers that Danny Rand has been placed at the top of the DEA's most wanted list. Pete, dirty money there from that, that, uh, that rich boy. Smuggling millions. Um, and uh, obviously, this brings a smile to Harold's face, and he packs his briefcase. Car pulls up outside of Rand Enterprises, and though he's told he can't park there, sir, he flips the security guys, the keys, and asks them to get it washed for him. Great line there. Uh, he makes a beeline to the executive suite elevators, which Pete, in the first episode, I don't think that they were labeled executive suites. Probably what with that not. whole that whole homeless guy that broke in and all that. Now it's a little <laughs> bit clearer. Um, I like, too, by the way, Pete, this episode opening somewhat similar to the way the first episode opened. A little bit. I'd have to say there's a little bit of a of a mirroring effect. Uh, he gets upstairs. He probably has the sweet card. Uh, Ward is talking to Jerry Hogarth. Danny has been set up. Well, you know, attacking those DEA agents didn't help. Who would do that? Cut to Harold. Because Pete, the editor, has a sense of, perhaps not irony, but payoff, certainly. Cut to Harold walking onto the floor, resembling his hanging portrait there. Uh, Jerry sees him and calls it fraud at the highest level. And uh, Pete, he puts something in Hidden Safe. I like that it's not immediately clear that he's putting that tablet there that's got all the hand numbers. I like that Ward didn't know that safe even existed. (laughs) Um, But uh, he's always been the favorite child, so why would his father ever reveal that to him? Um, So 
uh, Ward asks him if this is the best possible move here, stepping out in public. Uh, but he explains that they're going to spin him a tale about uh, gene therapy, about the tremendous advances Rand has made in cryotherapy. Uh, the board will welcome him back with open arms. And uh, hey, by the way, son, you tried to fight me before. You've always lost. This is your last chance to come on board. Otherwise, it'll just be me and Joy. Harold also reminds his son uh, that uh, Ward has tried to stop his father before and he lost. So get on board the, uh, the Harold choo-choo train here. Also, good times are ahead. It'll be easy to pin all this on Danny. And by the way, Rand can get rich on both ends. The heroin sales have, have gone on, but uh, they'll be able to uh, have access to Bakuto's easy heroin fix. Um and you know what? Harold's been messing with Danny for a long time. Long since before Danny came back, Pete, mystery, mystery, to take us to the title card. In the park there, Matt, of course, the easiest place to hide behind a tree because police officers won't see you there. <laughs> uh, that's true. Uh, in fact, New York is renowned for its uh, its, its non, uh, non-clear trees. Um uh, Colleen quickly uh, returns to the, the little hidey spot that they have. She has a newspaper that's going to give some ketchup along with some uh, sweet sneakers as well, um, which is a small detail. But you know what? I appreciate that they had him run out barefoot. And now they're, they're addressing that for practicality's sake. Uh, Danny sees that he's being framed as a drug trafficker and has been using Rand as cover. That's the story. What's the plan? Well, the plan is to find out whatever the DEA evidence is and refute it. He's going to need to get in touch with Hogarth. But uh, Colleen suggests that they not contact her directly. They need a messenger. Pete, do we know anybody who inhabits both the, the Hogarth <laughs> storyline as well as the Danny storyline? Well, the moment they said messenger, I said, where's Claire? Here's Claire with a $5 bill that will get uh, about two seconds of Hogarth's time with which Matt, if that's an actual quote, what does that make her hourly rate? Uh, I would have to do that, that, that math. I could do it live on the podcast if you like. I, I, Hey man, you know, let's see. So that would be $5 for every two seconds. Uh, Pete, come back to me. Let, let me let me get out my 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 banker's uh, green visor, and I'll I'll let you know. Now people know you're not an accountant. <laughs> um, when you find out that number, Matt, I want you to uh, sing out J Money. Uh, but uh, Claire is going to take him. I'm sorry, take her to him, and uh, it's as this happens. J Money, Pete. Jay Money, what's the number for Jay Money? Pete, some back-of-the-envelope figuring that uh, in no way required pausing the podcast so we could talk through, so you could talk me through the math, <laughs> suggests $9,000 an hour. Pete, if she's that good, then, uh, well, that's just incredible. And knowing the way that lawyers work, uh, no offense towards lawyers, the, the two seconds is getting rounded up to an hour. We're going to call that an hour. That was 9K. On the way to the alley, however, Matt, we see the uh, poster that says, uh, be proud. And a closer ex- examination reveals that Stan Lee 
It is a friends and family join the NYPD poster. So Stan Lee getting his requisite cameo in and helping recruiting numbers. Stan Lee as uh, NYPD officer was seen clearly in a uh, on a I don't know if it was the same poster, but as a poster in uh, Luke Cage and seen less clearly in the police office in uh, one of the seasons of Daredevil. I want to say the first season. So I like that this is kind of an ongoing defenders kind of kind of joke here. No joke, though, Pete, is that Hogarth has been brought to Danny and Colleen. She, of course, tells him as an officer of the court, uh, of the court that he should turn himself in. Should he really do that? No, of course not. Oh, and you're Colleen Wing? You have your own charges, including assault and aiding and abetting a fugitive. So, Pete, not the kind of advice you want to be getting from Jay Money, although it is the truth. At 9K an hour, it better be the truth, man. Um Danny is considered a flight risk. In fact, he should have that stamped on his forehead. Um, so what they come back to is this hand tablet. Um, the, the information that Hogarth's been given is from that, but it's been changed. It has been, and and she gives him three options. He can turn himself in, he can go back to Xanadu or wherever, or... <laughs> prove his innocence by the way pete i wonder if she was making i guess she has one of three options there for the xanadu re reference one citizen kane reference two uh kind of ancient uh antiquity reference or third the uh the music olivia. the musical movie with what's her name from olivia Greece. newton john yes <laughs> I'm guessing that's probably a little bit more in her cultural warehouse and and has a little bit more you know sarcasm as we've come to know and love the character um but danny can't quite wrap his brain around why harold would have done this um under uh her time at uh rand of course hogarth grew to not uh trust him rather quickly but we know that danny trusts a little too quickly uh, the bottom line, though, is that there's another copy of these documents. It's with the one person Danny trusts less than Harold. With that, we cut to Bakutoville, where it's so quiet, despite the fact that there's rascally teens. They're supposed to be doing rascally teen stuff like drinking soda pop and playing uh, video games with their quarters lined up and things of that sort, perhaps having pizza parties. Uh, they do find Gal, though, who's been left without food and water, but she's had worse. Um, uh, she could have escaped maybe, but then she would have missed this pleasant visit. Uh, they enter her room with apparently Pete, no concern that like somebody's going to come up behind them at some point and be like, aha, now I close the door on you, which would have been my concern as right. a non martial artist. My first viewing too, um, you know, the, the scene ends so quickly, I was concerned they let the door open for her so she could go. And the way the episode ends, it's clear she gets out. Um, but uh, they, they do uh, they do discuss uh, closing her in when they go to leave. Colleen even threatens to cut off her head and feed it to the rats because we know that's apparently what you do to anybody who's been resurrected. Uh, if she's indeed been resurrected, but if she hasn't, uh, she still notes it's going to be unpleasant. 
Uh, Danny needs access to the tablet there. Gal, because uh, she lived in the 17th century, knows all about computers, and she purged it from her computers. There are no other copies. And she's not lying because she's not a dirty liar like Colleen. Wow. Wow. I, Pete, I was going to uh, – first of all, you're totally right. Second of all, we have again in our, in our uh, fiction under the Disney umbrella an issue – of if you just saved your files to the cloud where you have access in multiple points, everything would be okay. If the Empire had backed up those files, you wouldn't have had what happened on planet Caribbean Beach. Scarif. Let's Scarif. let's not talk about uh, you know, uh Star Wars file formats. <laughs> um, same thing here. I I you know to to take off the sarcasm slightly, I like, though, that the story is saying, nope, there are, we all live in a world where there's multiple ways to have access to your files. Gao has taken all of them away uh, ahead of time in order to, to cover her exit. Pete, though the room only has a chair and a bed, Gao acts like there's a couch there because it's time for Danny to lay on that couch. She's going to do some psychoanalysis. Who knows? She might have partied with Freud back in the day. Um <laughs> Of course he's an awful Iron Fist, she says. His chi is littered with guilt over his parents' death. He watched them die. I was so glad, Pete, that they didn't then show footage of mom being pulled out of the plane. No, they um, save that for later in the episode. <laughs> uh, so he watched them die despite the fact that he survived with barely a scratch. Guilt is such an uncomfortable feeling. Isn't that why he left Kunlun? Um but Danny, but she, Gal says she knows that, uh, or Danny knows that she did not kill his parents. So Pete, emotions just just fueling the scene here. Yeah, child touched by fire. She notes, isn't that how it goes? Now the child's grown up, and um, it's much easier to burn your anger. Uh, I'm sorry to to burn these feelings of anger off than it is to actually confront them. Um, Colleen keeps noting that these are mind games, yet uh, Gal gets right down to it that she wouldn't have gone through the trouble to hide this in a crash. This was someone more treacherous than she. In fact, she tried to talk him out of it. Pete, I just don't know who that could be. Wait a minute. <laughs> I think it's Harold. Uh, Harold, who had cancer, Harold, who set up the heroin operation, Harold, who was worried that uh, Wendell Rand, that's Papa Rand, was, was close to finding things out. Harold, who, as it turns out from her point of view, must be killed by Danny in order for Danny to truly feel the power of the Iron Fist. I don't buy that. It seems that it's clearly the more uh, mind game-ish part of it. Um the, the spelling it out about Harold, okay, that's that's what it is. Um, the timeline's interesting, too, that she lays out that, okay, Harold was diagnosed, and then Wendell takes his entire family to this trip in China, ostensibly to uh, find out that the, or confirm the, the heroin operation, so... Whatever Wendell was doing, he was certainly taking a risk in that, you know, uh, cats away, mice will play. I'm sure he didn't suspect Harold, um, but he left everything open. And uh, I, I just don't know if the 
setting up of the hand heroin operation was connected with the saving from death because it was two or three years to live yet he died and then came back if this scene is meant to lay out everything all in a row i I will buy that harold could have gotten a a terminal finding of cancer but still have had death two or three years away i mean i I, thank goodness i'm not super familiar with the particulars of terminal cancer but i i would buy that as a story conceit if not a a a full-on kind of medical one um i thought pete you were gonna bring up the issue that you brought up in the past that if wendell is out to smoke out this illegal heroin operation that somehow his company uh, the company that carries his name uh, is is tied to, and he's going to get to the bottom of it, and and you know bring sunshine to it, and clear out the whole operation. Why is he bringing the wife and kid again? Um, uh, hello, Matt. His son is the future Iron Fist. He knows that. <laughs> bottom line, I I I think nothing from that that revelation is new, but I do appreciate that the story has kind of laid it out. You know, here's the boom, boom, boom. At least the story that Gao is going with, and it's not a story that I particularly, uh, you know, that I think is false or or a game on her part. It's nice to have that restatement, certainly. Bottom line, though, Pete, as they—that's uh, Danny and uh, Colleen leave—Gao notes that there are no locks strong enough to imprison the truth. Uh, and as you mentioned, Pete, apparently they decide not to lock her back in because that would be really, really cruel. I think they do, though, um, given that uh, she doesn't walk out. She does get out later. We can assume that's through the the hands intervention. Um, we don't know where Bakudo's group is. So, you know, conceivably, there's this continued power struggle within the hand of the two factions, if that's even actually a thing. Pete, would the har- would the power struggle be accurately described as perhaps the the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing? I like the uh, the ear and arm thing that uh, that Claire. I like to work in world. You know me, so we're we're calling Gao the hand, and we're calling uh, Bakudo the the ear. Back to the alley, Matt, because you go to the exact same location that you discussed with your lawyer. It's, it's like you've set up a second office after you've confronted the one person you trust less than the person who's framed you with the DEA. And uh, you start muttering while uh, two level-headed women try to talk you through it. Pete, if nothing else, we do have uh, the entire series. We have women who tend to be uh, level-headed, tend to be independent, counseling ill-begotten men. Uh, so I'll, I'll give the show that credit. Um, regardless, they uh, they remind him that uh, that bottom line is they just need the tablet from Harold. Uh, kind of a uh, a bit of a, a bit of a story MacGuffin here. Uh, Danny flashes in anger. We have those kind of visual cut elements not seen since the early episodes. Uh, Danny says that he's kept trying to escape, or in the past he kept trying to escape Kunlun to find his mother. There was this fantasy that she had landed out of the plane safely in a snowbank, perhaps broke her leg and needed help. Um, 
which is a nice little character moment, I must say. Uh, Claire notes that the sad darkness in these powered people uh, seems to be a common thread uh, of the ones that she's known. But Danny has an innocence, and uh, this fighting his past, these past 15 years, it only is making him darker. Yeah, and they know what uh, Danny should do. They're they're pointing him in the right direction here um, with his, let's call it what it is. This is the immaturity of somebody who's not grown up in a fully socialized way to know that this isn't how you approach it. Uh, Claire even calls him out and says, there's some S you can't punch. Um, and, and you can't commit this murder. Um, Colleen talks about the Bushido code and that from the time she was picking up a sword, she was taught never to harm another for personal reasons, which, you know, obviously, uh, complicates the whole thing with Bakudo, but she's glad that Davos killed him and not her, which is why she has to kill Harold for Danny. Which is an interesting it's an interesting um, argument that she is making. And, and I want to stress here, I'm not being critical of the storytelling. I am, however, being critical of Colleen's logic. You know, you can't kill because that will corrupt your chi. Therefore, you know, I'll take a bullet for the team and I'll kill him. Um, isn't the point or isn't her point preservation of life not you know, let, let's take all the bad stuff away from Danny so he can be just the best darn Iron Fist he can be. Um, bottom line, as Claire is shocked, she says, can't we not kill someone and someone just get the tablet? Uh, can't we just get in touch with Ward to help? With that, Pete, we cut to Joy being visited by Ward. You see that transition there? It's like a Ward transition. In a hospital Ward? Wow. That's the third <laughs> Ward that we've podcasted about. Yes, yes. This month. Um, and uh, obviously she is still upset over what has taken place beto- between the two of them with their father involved here. Um, I like that Ward continues to return to uh, their father as this thing um, that you think is our father, that he's dangerous, that he's crazy. Uh, but Joyce using rational points that, well, if you were out of the public eye and and had to hide yourself for 13 years, you'd be a little off too. Um, But then he closes the door and brings it down to brass tacks in that he witnessed their father take a claw hammer to two dead men. And I can show you where he made me dump the bodies in Pelham Bay Park. However, she's not going to go anywhere with him. She can't trust him. He's been lying all these years. And though it was dad's decision, he went along with it. Oh, yeah. And there's the subject of your drug abuse. And I give big credit here to um, Tom Pelfrey as a performer making us. It's amazing. We were all sympathetic with joy early in the show's run. And by the end, we're, we're completely in the other direction towards Ward as their relationship is torn apart. Uh, he says, I have to use a euphemism here, Matt, because it, it's not oh. PG iTunes material. He's, he's a bad person. 
or a bad hole uh, and a liar. He does not dispute that. Um, but he is not wrong about their father that he won't leave until she understands. And Hey, I subscribe to New York bulletin too. You should check out their front page. By the way, Pete, speaking of periodicals, uh, she has before her a copy of, it's not Consumer Reports, but it's something like that. Uh, that's a real cover uh, from the October 2016 uh, edition, which was published in September 2016. Mm -hmm. So right in the bleeding edge here of the end of the season. Which, when we uh, were in New York, the day they finished, the Saturday of New York Comic Con. I want to say they, the 6th. They finished overnight. Uh, somehow I suspect the climactic rooftop battle is what they were filming. Um, but uh, it was just this interesting moment as I, as I quick Googled it to say our memory of New York Comic Con meeting up with when they would have filmed this and this, this, uh, this magazine cover. Pete, with that, we cut to Ward meeting up with Danny. The tablet is in a safe, but Ward doesn't know the combination. Ward does not fess up to the I didn't even know that safe was there. <laughs> um, Danny uh, shares that it is Harold who caused the plane crash. Harold who caused his parents' death. Uh, at this point, Danny starts to kind of shimmer and shake again, imagining the plane crash. And Ward kind of has to say, you know, kind of, hey, what's going on? Stay with me. It was me. a really good effect. And anytime you're going to pan up and airplane noise in New York City post 9-11, jarring in that way as well. On the 45th floor of the Rand building, uh, Joy comes on in. She's got you know a little bit of the, the, the achy walk on account of really she shouldn't be out of the hospital. Um, she needs to talk to, uh, talk to the family here. Uh, she asks her father, why did you frame Danny? Uh, she has seen the books after all. Danny's name wasn't uh, on any of it. Harold smoothly tells her that he actually withheld certain documents, Pete. They were probably under audit or something. Can you imagine that? This blonde businessman withholding documents. Joy can't believe it. She can't believe that Harold has framed Danny, uh, even when he says that Danny has taken everything that rightfully belonged to Harold. Don't let Danny beat us, Joy. Yeah, and between the admission that he's spied on his daughter that he can't look her in the eye and uh, deny this. And she leaves not even allowing her father to touch her anymore. And Ward entering back into the building sees her and she drives away. She's heartbroken, Pete. Uh, Ward makes his way through lobby security and heads on up. Uh, nice continuity, by the way. Not that this is what I'm about to describe is, is mind-blowing in a, in a production sense, but there's the the one security guy who takes him into the uh, into the elevator at the ground floor in the real lobby is the same guy who gets out with him at the elevator in the set for the 45th floor. Just a little detail, super nice. Um, but we go outside again. Danny, Claire, and Colleen, they're watching the building. Does everyone know the plan? Do you know it, Danny? Yes. Do you know it, Claire? Yes. Do you know it, Colleen? Yes. Do you know it, audience? No. Mystery. It involves a bag that uh, Hogarth has procured. We find out later that that is money, however much Hogarth would give him because, you know, Danny doesn't pay attention to those types of details. Um, and uh, 
when Ward had gone up to the 45th floor, he had noted his father there uh, talking on the phone with a golf driver in his hand. He goes into his office and calls Danny, tells him it can't be tonight. They're not just guards outside. There's guards up here. Unless he's bulletproof, it'll have to wait. Um, And I got really worried for Tom Pelfrey here getting hit to the back of the head. Of course, it's, you know, a stunt with the uh, driver. But whether the character was done, you don't just shake that off. I, I too was concerned for for Central New Jersey's own Tom Pelfrey, um, or at least his prospects of playing the character past this episode. Um, also, a really nice use of how the window is reflective. You kind of you don't see Harold coming up until the last second, and then he's he's clearer once uh, once uh, Ward drops down. So a nice shot, certainly. With Ward having been smacked to the back of the head, yet the phone not having been hung up, Matt, um, Danny and company kind of hear that it sounds like Harold found out. I mean, the mis- the uh, unmistakable sound of a uh, of a of a golf driver, which is usually made of titanium, albeit hollowed, uh, hitting someone's cranium might give that away. Um, but uh, Danny is going to stay the course. The plan is clear. Claire says that maybe that means something different in Kunlun, but in New York, uh, clear does not mean guys with guns. And uh, before Colleen can speak any sense, uh, Danny gets out. He's ready to head up there. And... Um, Claire's part of the plan is to throw cash after a triple S perfecta trifecta, Matt, uh, (laughs) to the uh, hot dog or pretzel or peanut cart guy. He says the only thing he's selling is peanuts, but uh, here's uh, a stack of money and here's a bag of what we can assume is filled with money worth more than your peanut cart that I'm going to unplug the propane hose and then light these matches and distract the guards that uh, Danny walks right by. Uh, The most shocking part of this scene, Matt, that there's a Starbucks and a Dunkin' Donuts on the same side of the street. (laughs) Pete, (laughs) indeed, it being being Midtown Manhattan, it should have been two Starbucks. Oh, there's Uh, one intersection. Um, It's, uh, we've stayed in a hotel. It's towards the uh, southeast end of the park. There is one intersection, no lie. I don't know if it's still the same. This was like uh, within the last decade that has three Starbucks on four corners. That is simultaneously awesome and awful. But uh, Danny, back to him. He's not stopping for any coffee, coffee, no Java juice for him. Uh, he makes it through the lobby and into the executive elevator. Uh, Colleen is ready to follow, but there are men, men with guns. So she kind of jukes and jives out of the uh, the way of them. Uh, she goes into a service elevator and somehow gets to the 45th floor without being seen. Simultaneous to her arrival, Pete, Ward stumbles out, head bloodied. Thank God. Yes, thank goodness. <laughs> thank goodness. I saw him get up and I'm like, all right. He's he's alive. That blow is a little less than than believable, though. We've seen people die from less. Um, 
I like the seating that goes on, Matt, when uh, the guards are getting ready. Harold tells him, remember, he's not bulletproof whether he has that iron fist, because remember, he's going to know somebody eventually who is bulletproof. Indeed. And uh, also nice story seating in terms of we've seen her come in through the, the, the service entrance uh, which we hadn't seen before, but you know, every, every building has those, um, the way in which he's about to appear certainly is very, very nice indeed. Uh, with, with all the players there, uh, from the outside swinging on in is iron fist. He uses the iron fist itself to break through the glass. Ward um, warned him though. Did you notice that? I did not. Ward yeah, warned his father. Says, Dad, and then he comes. So that was a little strange. And we get it later on when they're in the, um, you know, the, the crematorium uh, that, you know, he says it's still his father and he's glad he doesn't have to do it alone because Joy doesn't participate. But, um, yeah, that was an unusual thing that he that he called it out to him. I don't know whether that was meant to simply be reaction to to point to, oh, there's a guy coming in from the window and somebody has to reasonably say it. But couldn't you have like one of the guards say, what's that? Is that an iron fist coming like a wrecking ball right towards us? Maybe, Pete, maybe it was like an honest in the moment thing where, where Tom Pelfrey cried out to his you know tom pelfrey was not tom pelfrey in that moment he was ward meacham he was calling out to his father uh in kind of a very method thing you know my father just tried to kill me but i need dad's approval look dad there's the bad man i don't know maybe um, maybe that i i like uh i like the method idea behind it um they begin to fight uh, Danny then, as I note here, goofily fists the lights because he kind of recoils after he does it. I don't know whether that was meant as it's still not 100 uh, percent. It's it's not going to be uh, even not 100 percent for a little while uh, when he takes a bullet into it, Matt, on the roof in a little bit. Um, By the Harold, way, Pete, do you know where the guards were trained? Uh, apparently the same place stormtroopers were the TV and film stormtrooper school. <laughs> That's right. And I don't mean it as a slam to iron fist. Everybody does this. Everybody's been doing it since the first motion picture, which I'm sure was a silent movie where, you know, it's cowboys miss, 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 miss. Our hero goes click shoot and hits three of them with one bullet, you know, but uh, I just couldn't help but notice that he's, he's cornered under the board table. And, and even before that, the guys aren't, uh, aren't hitting him. Pete, cut to Harold emptying his safe. Pete, remember how we're looking for the tablet? Now the tablet is in play. It's in play. It's open. And um, with Harold grabbing that, grabbing his gun out of there, because, you know, of course he keeps a gun in the, the corporate uh, office because, you know, you need one of those around the 45th floor just, just in case somebody breaks in. Um, and Perhaps it was a recent addition. To be fair, the first time we've seen it used was earlier that chronological this is, day. This is true. This is true. And Danny uh, pinned under the table. Uh, Harold tells Ward that if he moves, he will hit him again, which was terrifying enough the first time. Not expecting it. Um, so Colleen is now behind Harold with her half sword. Did you notice that? I did. Yes. 
yeah why she's still using the half like can you i mean listen we've watched game of thrones you know we've watched them you know melt valerian steel down into two swords and whatever but like what's the fix would she go to a swordsmith and they they i'm sure it's sentimental the hilt or whatever but it just seems okay it's it's like a half sword at this point but harold turns uh it's up to danny matt and he jumps up he spins and he does the spectacular fist that was shown off pretty much everywhere as far as the promotional material was for uh, this show, this series that we finally get with like 18 minutes left in the series. Wait, like that shot? Because truly, I have no idea what you're that talking about. That shot of him ripping the office apart. Not not the full shot, but the shot of him pounding the fist into the ground and the, and the ripple um, was specifically everywhere. And I kept waiting and waiting and waiting for it. Like, okay, it wasn't in the, the first six that they showed me. They're holding on to that one. Where is it? Where is it? Where? Oh, it's in the finale in like the last 20 minutes. Okay. Hmm. It's a big effect. I mean, clearly um, they, they did a lot and it is spectacular. Claire sees the, the explosion blow out from the street. Obviously that's a different type of effect. Um, But everybody's down and uh, Harold runs. Colleen is okay. They have the tablet um and danny heads up the stairs to the roof uh indeed he looks down then up uh intuiting perhaps that uh that harold has gone up as all good villains do at the climaxes of stories you go to the roof you don't make your way down uh sure enough harold is there uh danny jukes and jives but ultimately is shot in the iron fist by one shot harold pete harold he's not uh, a remnant of the Clone Wars, nor is he part of the uh, the uh, capturing of uh, of stormtrooper babies that are only given numbers or whatever the excuse is for the original trilogy of Star Wars. One shot, Harold Meacham uh, goes in there, bang, hits Danny in the old Iron Fist, and uh, Harold notes that the last time he was up there, this is a, a wonderful bit of dialogue here, yeah. the building wasn't even open yet. He was there with uh, Wendell Rand, looking at the city at their feet. Harold wanted to push Wendell over. It was just one of those things. <laughs> Not pushing him was, is perhaps Harold's greatest regret. Oof. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was before Danny was born. And then they argue about who destroyed whose family, um, which, got to admit, took me a little bit out of it. Um, coming on the heels of that great dialogue there. Um, and uh, But Harold wants vengeance. That's the only thing he's interested in. He won't eat. He won't sleep. He won't stop. And Danny drops down. The gun is then down. Uh, but as Harold notes, without that fist, you're just another screwed up little kid who won't go where I go. Uh, Danny can't get his fist lit. Um, Harold ends up grabbing a piece of metal. So does Danny and they fight, you know, with these like metal sword type things. Pete, again, I'm in all sincerity, assuming that this scene was shot, uh, that, that overnight before New York comic-con, what else would they be shooting at night? I don't think there's any other night scenes in this episode. 
Is that just a quick unless scan you were going to do some of the exteriors with the, you know, the the peanut cart or, um, you know, any any of the things around this? Certainly a possibility. It's probably one or the other. Certainly, they were all still in the city. They were all at the panel that we were at later that day with the crew with uh, Joe Casada. So it's it's certainly who sat a few rows in front of us in case we haven't mentioned it before. Um, but bottom line though, they have, they have their, their de facto metal swords in hand. They, they start to, to fight. They start to clank them together. And it's uh, it's a pretty good fight as uh metal piece sword fights go, Pete. Yeah. With these beams here, ultimately Danny is knocked down. He flashes back to the snow, to the uh, monk beating with the blood dripping onto his hands. Still not quite sure where that was coming from. <laughs> um, the the fist lit with Bakudo. Gao is there with a voiceover that uh, he will only gain the strength of a real iron fist after he has killed Harold. He must rid himself of the anger. Colleen's healed. Uh, Joy is shot and his mother is lost, Matt again before he sees his his dead father and wakes up yes he kind of snaps awake revitalized he punches harold then kicks him into a, a length of metal you know kind of the sticky outy pokey type that appears sometimes oh it of goes course, sticky outy pokey for sorzy <laughs> it does but we know that that can't kill harold uh, and here in his final final minutes on screen, David Wenham continues to shine. Oh, Danny boy, he says, come here and give your Uncle Harold a hug uh. or finish me off. Um, the twin lights above Harold take Danny back to the twin lights of the, the dragon's eyes. Pete, I now know that we're not going to get any more dragon than that, but uh, not a bad not a bad connection to make if the you're committing presented is very evocative of the movie signs. Um, I'm a bigger fan of that than Matt is, right? Uh, I remember walking out of Unbreakable saying M. Night Shyamalan (laughs) will never steal my money again. And then further concluding uh, the wonderful effervescence and fresh perspective brought by The Sixth Sense along with its hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars at the box office and multiple Oscar nominations, including two or three for M night Shyamalan. That was just an aberration. This man cannot make movies. Well, he's, he's back up with split. So you're just going to have to give it an opportunity, but, um, it, it's evocative of that because we, we go back with the memory. He's, he's in the, the darkness there again. And now he knows uh, why he's uh, seen this before um, so that when he flashes back, he tells uh, Harold that uh, <clears throat> he's, uh, he's wasted too many years uh, hating whatever he is, that he's going to go to prison um, and it's not going to be as nice as the last 13 years before Harold slides off that beam. Um, he shoots at Danny, who blocks the shot with the Iron Fist, having centered himself. We've seen both he and Davos be able to do that. Uh, Then Ward shoots at him twice, and uh, he topples off the building. I would have liked if we had maybe one more shot of 
Harold actually falling. I, it, it's kind of a bit. Well, you know, I think it's I with what goes on. It's it's something we have to talk about when we talk theories a little later on. Ooh, fair enough. We'll stick a pin in that. Uh, we get a wide shot of the eagle flying over the city in the morning. Um, and then uh, we see the cremation area of a funeral home. Expediency being the soul of narrative. Hogarth comes in to say that the DEA is dropping all charges, given that Danny was set up. And Danny is donating to the DEA Widows and Orphans Fund, uh, which, again, to be a bit more clear with my slight finger wag here, this is important information, and it's delivered by his lawyer. It's just delivered at a weird place at a weird time. Except it's not a weird time because the episode is is concluding fairly soon. But I didn't have a problem with it. Um, and and then the little bit of schmaltz that happens between, um, you know, what am I supposed to do now? I'm a free man, and Ward says you can you can come back and run the company like our, our fathers should have. Danny rightfully pointing out he's not good at business. Uh, Ward then gets a little schmaltzy. He's going to miss dad. Who will he blame for his failures, for his weaknesses, his unhappiness? Danny understands. And Hogarth didn't really realize that there was going to be so much emotional honesty here. With that, the button gets pushed and Harold is cremated. Uh, this and many another cremation story, ignoring the fact that it takes like hours and hours and hours, but I digress. The emotion of the scene is what's most important. Uh, back at the dojo, Colleen and Claire are wrapping up a training session. Danny has bought pizza. Uh, he wants to go back to Kunlun after all. What? There's, there's surprise in the air. Uh, it was wrong that he left the way he did. He needs to explain to Lai Kung why he left and he needs more training. Uh, Claire notes that Danny's first instinct is uh, for him, for him and Colleen both, to respond to problems with violence. They need psychological help. She drops the mic. They both drop their pizza, or at least put it down. She takes her fighting claws and walks out. And I guess that's a wrap for Claire. I know you had an issue with this scene. I thought it brought some closure. She's learned what she's needed to. She points out that they're both psychologically damaged, that you can't solve everything with violence, that uh, they're very much like one another, that they've helped one another, but it, it's time to get some actual help that she's not qualified to give, you know, having just been a nurse and and not a psychotherapist. She's learned to defend herself. She's got these uh, these claws that she brought back from China. Um, good thing they went through a private uh, aviation corporation and not uh, through regular TSA because there's no way those babies are going through. And uh, I'm Pete, all right. Check, ch checked baggage. You could check those. <laughs> I'm all right with her, her trajectory here. Again, she's the Colson of these four series and we're going to see her again in defenders and she has moved forward i guess i was just zeroing in more on the fact that here's how it was staged she gives a a, a scintillating uh negative speech about how the two of them handle things and they're just kind of left there to be like silently like what 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 and then she, she gets don't her have to fix every problem man i i listen i totally agree i just think i would have liked if they gave colleen and danny a little bit more to do in that portion of the scene but 
speaking of Colleen, Pete, she's shocked that Danny is leaving. We are shocked too. I will admit, Pete, easy transition. Danny goes, uh, oh man, if only people could help us defend. And with that, you know, there's a knock on the door and Daredevil's like, hey, you want to be friends? Um, Instead, Danny has to be, he wants to be a flame to destroy his enemies. He wants to be something else. A light to those trapped in the darkness. See, Pete, we're headed towards, oh man, Luke Cage is going to come soon. Be like, let's be best friends. Uh, Colleen reminds him that there's already darkness in uh, in New York. Uh, and uh, Colleen's going to miss him. But he wonders if she'll come with him. Pete, they hug. Aw. Yeah, there's a little light in New York here and what he's found with her. Um, then we have, uh, the, the ward, uh, looking over the pictures of him and, um, of Danny at Rand. Um, and then the shattered photo, no doubt taken off the wall in the hasty reconstruction of their offices on that floor, assuming they're on the same floor of, uh, his father that, uh, real great camera angle there. He is reflected upon, before Matt, I'm fairly certain we go to Paris. Ooh, I was gonna guess one of those like I don't know fancy boathouse restaurant areas in Central Park. Why? No, why old Paris? There, there are French flags, and huh. there is a foreign license plate on one of the cars. Pete, the hanging of flags and other uh, paraphernalia-like signs is an easy way for you future set decorators out there to convey a change in scene. So, Pete, I'm going to gonna go with that. Elsewhere in Paris, Davos and Joy are talking. Davos stresses that Danny destroys everything he touches. Uh, Davos says that Danny must be removed. He, he, nay, he needs to be killed, and Davos can help. Meanwhile, Gao is over their shoulders, listening and smiling, and uh, I'm so glad, not surprised, but so glad that she has uh, made it out of that room and continues on in the Defender's verse. Yeah, and Joy is listening is is the real shocker of everything that goes on with the, the clarification of what exactly removed means. Um and then, Matt, we finally return to the mountains of the Himalayas, uh, where how much further, Colleen asks, not far. Uh, it's it's going to change, Colleen. You know, it'll be green. It'll be warmer. Uh, he can almost smell the stew that Rabton keeps going all the time. They'll be there just in time for afternoon kung fu practice you're gonna love it right because we're gonna see all of this well they 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 finally get to the mountain pass danny sees blood there are monks dead no no not monks hand soldiers they reach the entryway proper danny sees that kunlun is gone the mountain opposite them is empty which was a visual i was not expecting um i i if they're going to be denied entry, I would have expected like there's no mountain at all or something like that. Not what appears to be the, the whole taking of the place. Danny says it's his fault. With that, Pete, his fist glows. He starts to consider things. Pete wrapped this up for us. What does the camera do? Right into the fist. We're inside the fist. Can you hear us? We're inside of it.
Sparring partners, let's take a look at who Danny faced off against in this episode. Pete, first up, the de facto dad to Danny these last 15 years or these last 13 episodes, however you want to cut the cake, it's Harold. I loved this character. I gotta admit that some of the things in the final episode brought a little bit of a of a of a tarnish to that um still a, a better bad guy than has been made out um you know certainly knew how to uh to deliver a, a line with uh with seeming care uh certainly with menace uh, maybe the funniest of all of the villains that we've had in the uh defenders series so far Whatever uh, familiarity this blonde-haired businessman high up in his tower might have to the real world, the character of Harold Meacham has just been absolutely wonderful, not knowing what the, the future is for the character, whether it's in Defenders or whether it's in future Iron Fist uh, iterations and so forth. That I don't know. Uh, but what I do know is David Wenham took a character that was pretty darn good on the page and added more than more than life to him added depth to him added humor added just these wonderful little acting things that he does i think particularly of when uh, harold came back uh from his second death and uh just those iterations of you know crawling out of the mud to barely vocal and so on and so forth as his uh as his consciousness came back together what a fantastic baddie Pete, next on the list, though, speaking of fantastic baddies, we, of course, have the eternal gal. The lady is a survivor, and we know from her backstory that it extends well past any of the other bad guys that we've seen to this point in this Defenders universe. And, um, you know, what what does she do? She, she stays in that box uh knowing seemingly that danny's coming back so uh she can uh drop the truth bomb on him and and further manipulate him to uh take care of her dirty work and and get rid of harold um and then obviously she's manipulating davos being at the other table there on the other side from joy come the end of the episode the, the the biggest story incongruity that I think I have felt with any of the Marvel Netflix stuff was how she was left unresolved at the end of the first season of, uh, of Daredevil. And now you know why. It sticks out like a sore thumb because the plan was for her to come back in Daredevil and back in this and uh, presumably to be back in Defenders as well. So a really, really nice arc to the character. And Pete, as you mentioned, we uh, last see her uh, perhaps paired up with Davos, and uh, Davos is our last sparring partner for the episode. I think that the motivation for Davos, that his quest for the iron fist now outweighs what the iron Fist's goal is as destroyer of the hand and teaming up with the hand to bring down Danny Rand shows us how far he's fallen as far as his, uh, you know, just absolute distrust is, is falling out with Danny. It is certainly an interesting, uh, trajectory and perhaps one that, uh, understandably was not explored 
more because it's Iron Fist's, <laughs> it's his show, it's not the Davos show, but this notion that Davos fancied himself as the next Iron Fist and uh, had to uh, accept with humility being the second to the Iron Fist to only now see the Iron Fist turn his back on the the supposed duties and place uh, befitting the title. It's a, it's a nice arc that is perhaps a bit to the background, but one that is appreciated nonetheless. Time to focus our chi and look inside this episode. Pete, first theory, one you hinted at before, uh, speaking of uh, Madame Gao and the, the uh, incongruity of the way she was uh, not resolved in the first episode, first season, rather, of Daredevil. We don't see Harold's death definitively. We don't see his body there in the, uh, in, in the crematorium. Is Harold Meacham dead? Can you burn away a body that uh, has undergone the, the hand resurrection procedure. Um, when, when I saw him go off the top of the building, I'm like, all right, we, we got to see the body Do, does a fall kill him. Um, Cause to this point, the only thing that we've been told is decapitation. I think there's a reason Bakudo didn't say, well, we're going to cut your head off or Hey Ward, you could also uh, burn him um, that that wasn't brought up. So I've got to wonder, we, we've seen him take, a uh, a stab wound. All right, could his body regenerate from the burns or whatever? Conceivably, they're going to leave. Like you point out, um, cremation isn't an instant situation, so that body's going to burn for hours. Or does he regenerate and punch his way out of it, still smoking, and go someplace and uh, have a little cooling off period? That would make for one heck of a scene maybe the 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 final scene in iron fist episode 201 where you just hear like boom 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 and the fist comes through kind of you know fist up from the ground style but now it's fist but through it's the not glass Danny. style there you go that 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 could definitely work you know and then there's like like the black uh husk you know and you hear kind of like a like a walnut shell kind of cracking effect <laughs> as he walks along and uh th- then you know it, it, it's a largely underlit scene, so it's you know black soot body in the shadows, and it's like I gotta get to Ward, or like where's Danny? Oh, it's David Wenham. It, it could work. It, it could, could work. Get, it a, get us in the room. We're we're available. We're <laughs> available. Um, Matt, couple theories, quite a few theories for you here. So Ooh. early on in this episode, Danny is on the run from the DEA, who I feel obliged to point out never um, identified themselves as DEA when they raided Chikara Dojo at the end of the previous episode. And I didn't want to point that out then because it, it would have spoiled some of the stuff in this episode. But... Does it make sense that he would be wanted for this gigantic uh, drug running, uh, trafficking, smuggling situation when so much scrutiny had come to him returning to the company? Would that even be possible? Hmm. I mean, if you have, if, if, let's imagine this, Pete, well meaning, hardworking DEA agents are handed an extensive file, which we know has been doctored, but handed an extensive file that seems to check out that 
Danny has been gone this whole time as he builds this heroin empire overseas. Now he's come home to be, oh man, hey, uh, whatever, can I get some Colorado weed? Because I'm just a weird hippie kid. When in fact he's a cold blood, uh, you know, uh, head of a, a of a drug empire, that kind of thing. I think that's a buyable. Uh, assuming the numbers work, I, I buy that as, you know, again, kind of hardworking investigative officer. I think that's plausible. And I also think if the public at large doesn't know that DEA agents were were um, beaten up by Danny and an accomplice, you can quickly in the next news cycle say, oh, we thank Mr. Rand for coming forward. And uh, he was able to provide new evidence to show that he had been framed. Boom. All right, I'll take that. I just found that, you know, so much attention would be on him that it wouldn't quite make sense. And again, it's TV storytelling. So there are times for the sake of movement forward, you've, you've got to take logical leaps like that. Speaking of logical leaps, Matt, where the heck did the hand go? Uh, I, Pete, I think that that is a mystery that I hope this summer on the Defenders podcast by Fantastic Geek, we can cover uh, I can only imagine that that is meant to link up to a, a scene early on in Defenders where somebody, perhaps Sigourney Weaver, says, you know, I pulled all of you out in order to, you know, not because we were retreating, but because we're getting ready for, then you kind of camera dollies into a close-up, phase two, but like something <laughs> slightly better, you know, than, than Remember that two. gigantic hole you guys dug? Is that where you retreated to? Or is that why we're interested in New York? What's what's underneath? Uh, all, the, all that Ghostbusters slime? Who knows? Matt, moving along here, is Danny's mother still alive? He talked about uh, the possibility that she might have landed someplace, only broken her leg. We know all the other bodies fell to earth in one piece, despite the fact that the pilots had been poisoned um, and not a scratch on uh, on Wendell yet dead. Okay, falls kill people, but it's usually a little bit messier than that. Um, but he heard his mother's voice at the blinding blizzard's edge of Kunlun. Is she still alive? Uh, Pete, I remember the wise words of Ronald D. Moore of uh, Star Trek and Battlestar and Outlander fame. You're allowed to show the hand of the writer, but you can only do it once or twice per season. The audience will accept it, but only if you do it occasionally. If you're going to play the dead parent, surprise, surprise, comes back after after the uh, tumultuous events of season one, it's better to save that for Harold than for mom. I cannot see them doing both. Um, if we hear, oh man, David Wenham has just been uh, cast in a great uh, BBC thing and he's going to be working on that for the next year, then maybe they cash in that that you know, mom, dad, back from the dead card for mom. But until then, only one shall return. And I'm hoping, hoping it is Harold Meacham. In the comics, it bears pointing out that uh, both of Danny's parents were from Kunlun, as was Madame Gao. Ooh. That might change things. I'm going to stick with what I'm saying, because what we saw of Kunlun 
though it is paradise it's only so big so if she's going back to kunlun or she's being rescued by monks from kunlun they're bringing her back eventually otherwise it's just a very very cruel world agreed how about the davos joy gao trifecta there at the end matt and specifically with davos is he becoming as he does in the comics the character of steel serpent the very same logo that Gao features on the hands heroine. I think the story is suggesting. Yes. Um, the notion of the friend who was in the fold now becomes a chief bad guy, uh, evocative of, uh, of, uh, Dr. Strange most immediately. I'm even back to the first Iron Man movie. Uh, so I, I, I guess I would caution, that being a storyline to pursue in a future season, if only because it's a bit familiar. That said, you know, don't we love the stories most, which are familiar? Isn't that uh, Man with a Thousand Faces? We're telling the same story yeah. over and over. Um, so I'll, I'll give a tentative maybe to that one. If Davos shows, if that's the trajectory he's on, is to become the anti-iron fist the rust fist if you will <laughs> if that's the storyline for season two I'll, I'll buy it but it better have some extra juice other than oh man we were friends now we are opposites lastly matt from me where did kunlun go well pete when the celestial planes misalign or when they are not aligned there are these different planes of reality. I'm going to assume that, that is the easiest answer, although I feel like there is an implied suggestion on the part of the story that it has been taken as opposed to it has shifted away. Uh, perhaps, Pete, I am overly reminded of the 1993, question mark, Alec Baldwin's star, The Shadow, uh, in which the the mystical uh, Asian place of training um is like right before him, but he can't see it. You know, it's kind of ostensibly covered in in uh, smoke or clouds or that sort of thing. And the moment his mind is clear enough, it suddenly appears right there. Um, I feel like that's what the show would have given us if it was just different celestial planes, man. Uh, and I return to this notion that somehow it has something has happened where it has been taken to another place or taken to another existence separate from the the path being open or the path being closed well they've certainly talked about um you know how the the way uh can disappear so would danny not recognize whether that has happened or not they they've showed us the the peak of that mountain with nothing there or seemed like it had been detached where you know, two episodes ago, we saw the uh, the shining city on the on the hill there. So I, I guess anything's possible. I would argue that Danny would not know what it looks like because he has known what from Kunlun to the pass looks like. He took the pass to leave, so he knows what it's like when Kunlun is at the pass and you are leaving. But he doesn't like know that. what it's like when it's not there. I like that idea. I suppose some of these questions may be answered in Defenders, perhaps others, in a future season of Iron Fist. All 
Let's listen to some messages from the mystical city of Kunlun. Matt, been sitting on this one for a couple weeks only because it uh, it only works well and we were advised by the sender here uh, to, to not do it until after we had finished the series. So Stacy Taylor had uh, written in in a private message from Facebook, just finished the Iron Fist series and didn't want to make a public post because I want to call out two major, all caps, sins in the last two episodes. Uh, keep a close eye on how cell phones are used in the last two episodes. Everything in this series has been subpar uh, to the other three. Even the fight scenes seemed staged and scripted. I slogged through it only so I would have context for defenders. Look for how Danny's phone miraculously is in his pocket again after he says Bakudo took it and has the technology to track phones. Also, look for how Ward is really texting Danny with a warning after Bakudo took Ward's phone. When did he get a new phone? It should have been a setup based on where all the phones were. I couldn't believe these sins. I hope you speak to them in the podcast. And perhaps if I'm wrong and these are not sins, you clarify what really happened with the cell phones. I don't want to watch again. Looking forward to Defenders and The Punisher and your podcast on those. I expect both will be better productions. Keep up the great podcasting. Well, I got worried there for a minute that Stacey was saying that this wasn't as, as good a production, but I, <laughs> I, I get what she's she's saying. I, I had read this, um, Matt had not. Um, the stuff with the cell phones didn't bother me as much because, again, hey, Danny's rich. He could get another cell phone. Um, I was looking at it more so from, and, and we noted this in the previous episode with the uh, the FaceTime of whatever a non-Apple phone is. Uh, that's a Samsung phone. Yeah, I don't know. Who has those? But anyway. <laughs> um, Pete, Pete to, be fa- to be fair, they do sell, I, I know they they do sell fairly well when they're not exploding in airplanes and right, stuff. Right, I know, I know at least one set of numbers I had seen, they, they had a bigger market share, but, um, I mean, we even threw that out on, on Twitter there and, uh, some, some people had, uh, responded. I think that first of all, Pete, your response, Hey, they're rich. They can replace them. I suppose that's the, um, that's the, the saving grace, the, the bandaid to put over this. Um, her question, her point, though, I think is a very good one. And, you know, there's a job on a on a TV or film production. There's a, the job of script supervisor whose job is to not, you know, see how you're dressed or make sure that you're saying the words or things of that sort. Well, they do keep you on script a little bit. But their job primarily is to keep track of all of those things, to make sure that what, what the script is asking for can, can happen, that, that the things that should be there are there. And if you... If the script called for you to get ketchup on your tie on page 32, that there still is ketchup there on page 45, even if you're shooting the page 45, you know, two weeks before page 32 and so on and so forth. So this all could have been solved by a quick, you know, uh, hey, here's your new phone or 
things of that sort. I mean, the notion that here's the thing that I can't, I can't explain away, which is to say I defend Stacy completely. If Bakudo is tracking their phones, what are they doing with new ones? I mean, to me, this, you know, if, if I suddenly found out, you know, oh man, the hand is tracking me on my phone. I mean, okay, solution number one, throw my phone in the river. Solution two isn't necessarily, let me go get a new phone and call up AT&T and have them reconnect to my new phone because if there's this X-factor threat out there, I would still feel concerned, especially if it's, you know, the hand and, and not something a bit more of our real world. Um, so I think she has a really excellent point. And if that's a venue through which to say there's some sloppiness going on here where it could have been tighter and somebody just said, ah, let's go with it. Phones are phones. Well, you know, at what point, at what point does that start to run downhill in, in other aspects of your storytelling? We're going to give the, the global view on the series and in our wrap up. So I will reserve uh, a lot of that for then. But uh, we have discussed off air that, you know, the, the showrunner, Scott Buck, not only being in charge of this show, but being named the showrunner for the forthcoming Inhuman show on ABC, which, oh, yeah, is going to debut in IMAX, that we think that might have played a little bit of a role here um, in, in terms of both the production and the perception. I think of Melissa Rosenberg, who, from my first New York Comic Coms, I think was 2012, Pete, 2013, somewhere in there. Um, the, the what became Jessica Jones was being developed as far back as then. Um, so you know, a project that she has invested her her you know hours and hours and hours into that a ton of money was invested to perhaps even with her as the sole proprietor at times um for her to then show run that show into into existence and through uh post-production to my knowledge with no uh subsequent project other than hey start thinking about jessica jones season two that's the kind of care i want and i i will admit pete and, and like you said we'll reserve the global view for the, the wrap-up episode i i I'm super excited for Inhumans and, you know, other than w being worried that it's going to completely gobble up an entire Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season five and, and the effects that that will have, which is not the problem of, of Inhumans as a production or a product to be enjoyed. I, I do worry ever so slightly that that this showrunner from Iron Fist is the showrunner of that because I want I want top shelf TV wherever I go, even if it is for, you know, comic book stuff. Um, and we're seeing in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. how how great the comic book medium can be to really talk about issues and, and to explore these sorts of things. So some, some, some concern in the wind there. Pete, I've got one message to share. We say time and time again how uh, it is you, the listeners, who help keep us going, keep things moving. And uh, Pete, there was... Either I made a technical mistake or, as I said to, uh, to a listener, uh, the hand was, uh, was messing with us. Uh, shortly after posting the uh, previous podcast for episode 112, 
Um, it hadn't been up more than a couple hours. And Andre, that's Dr. Polo1983, uh, sent us a message on Twitter. Hey, guys, the latest podcast, episode 112, has the audio from 111. He was absolutely correct. It was my bad. I mean, as I told him on Twitter, it was Madam Gao who did it with those wayward teens from the hand. Um, but definitely appreciate the, uh, the heads up catch there, especially nice and early on. Uh, he replied to my saying thanks to him. No problem. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. So thank you, sir, for helping us out. And we, uh, we very, very much appreciate it. Did you know who else helps us, uh, are our patrons on patreon.com forward slash fantastic geek, whether it's, uh, our bandwidth costs or any of the many, ancillary uh things that come up in the context of having a family of nine podcasts at this point um and and managing all that content so big shout out to our patrons uh everybody who contributes gets themselves some uh exclusive podcast content that that's the the base level uh, past that, you determine with what you give uh, what you'd like to take away, and the perks are always changing, so there's a reason to uh, go back and take a look. So uh, thanks again for everybody who's gone to uh, patreon.com forward slash fantastic geek. Yeah, every uh, every month when the calendar resets and we get the new uh, the new bunch of uh, storage space, you know, thank goodness we've never gone over it, but it's always uh, it's always this impressive amount of uh, megabytes that we uh, that we chew through each month and that continue to stay up there online for listeners to to revisit or to to find anew. So very much appreciated uh, that uh, those patrons uh, play a huge role in keeping all of that online. And maybe you can't donate, Matt. You haven't got a credit card. You can't figure out how to put the money into the keyboard or the phone. That's fine. Another way you could certainly help us out, help others out, is to go to iTunes and to leave us a review. They are the lifeblood of uh, productivity and connectivity when it comes to this uh, means of podcasting. Yeah, it's a great way, A, for you to leave uh, leave us a message, let us know how we're doing, but also to help get the podcast out there to new listeners. So uh, another great way to uh, to spread the word of the old SS Fantastic Geek and uh, keep us on our voyage ever onward. Pete, of course, there you are at the top of the crow's nest of the SS Fantastic <laughs> Geek, always available for uh, the little Twitter bird to come along and talk to you. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. 9,163 followers. Can't be wrong, Matt. And I'm not going to lie, the the Twitter status may change in a little bit. Ooh. Well, uh, we'll keep an eye out for that. While I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That is fantastic with the P and the H. FantasticGeek.com. FantasticGeek at gmail.com. FantasticGeek on Twitter and Instagram. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash FantasticGeek. I'm just going to level with people for a minute, okay? Uh, we, we had two followers up and drop 
uh, as we're recording today. So not quite sure what that's about, but I know there are legions more behind them. So get yourself to uh, facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek with the PH all one word like it. You'll cement your status in our gang. Well, Pete, as aforementioned, we will be back on Monday to uh, do a season one wrap up for Iron Fist. And I'm sure have a little view to the future for Defenders. Uh, But uh, with that, Pete, we have concluded the episodic run of Iron Fist. So I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. I really didn't realize there was going to be so much emotional honesty. (laughs) 